This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And we're back with another episode of the Underdog Dynasty Podcast AAC Edition. My name's Dan Morrison. That is Emily Van Busker. How are you doing today, Emily? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I've got, I mean, I'm okay. Wow, that was a huge pause. (laughs) Okay, so like, I should say really quickly, I was thinking about if I wanted to mention that I'm actually very upset about the shooting that happened in Texas today. But oh, I yeah. don't really want to dive into it because I don't okay. have, I have my feelings and my emotions about it. And I right. don't think that on this college football podcast that they're productive. And I know that they're of not course, people and, are listening for either. Right. But and I, obviously we're recording this on Tuesday. This awful tragic event happened you know, earlier today. And, and our thoughts and prayers are with the people, you know, of this small town outside of San Antonio and, and their families. And I think that's pretty much all you can really say yeah. about this. You know, if people want to hate on other people for continuing on with their day and, and with what's going on in sports and work, like that's, that's life. Unfortunately, these things happen. They're awful and we take time to mourn them, but we can't, you know, just stop, halt our lives. Right. So it's, yeah, I, we acknowledge it's terrible. And and I, I don't even know what to know. say about it anymore. It's, I, it's terrible. Like I said, I'm not equipped <laughs> to talk about it necessarily, but right. I just, I feel very bad about that. Um, right. And I did want to acknowledge if I didn't know. Right, I'm glad you did. I don't know the best way to. And I, like I said, I yeah. don't, and it's not what people are necessarily listening for. So I, yeah, I think you said it very nicely there. Right. And I think we're going to move on quickly here. I'm going to okay. say right now, this is a podcast that will probably not be talking about Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban's food. <laughs> uh, yeah. We will not. I've heard. I will say that. Let me just say, I'll say this about it. And we don't have to talk about it because I really I don't going care to, to talk about to it. Retract that bit about this is a podcast. <laughs> we're not talking about this. No, because no, because we're not. We're not going to. But I feel like the only thing I can add to the conversation is this. I texted an SEC uh, coach when this was all happening. And I was, I, you know, I was like, oh, this is crazy. Like, what do you think? And he literally just sent one word back and wrote wild. And that was it. So I was like, that pretty much for me summed it up. If you want a slight G5 slant to it, I can tell you. And for those who don't know, I'm an NIL writer for on three. So I I hate to say I'm an expert because that's way too strong a word, but (laughs) I know I do a lot. You know more than the average person. I do a lot of NIL research and writing. I know I literally have read the law as it's written for every single state. It's like, it's very dry, but whatever. Uh, he, Nick Saban, that is, said that Travis Hunter got a million dollars to go to Jackson State. That's bullshit. That was a lie. Mm. I think he read it somewhere, the same kind of like someone said something who said something that got picked up as a rumor is this guy got this and that it's bullshit. He's got an NIL deals there. Don't get me wrong. 
but they're not close to a million dollars. And he frankly would have gotten them anywhere he went if it was Florida State, which was where he and Briz originally committed or wherever he would have had them. So I really hate that Saban's going around just shouting lies about NIL because he's trying to rile up his boosters or is just upset that he has to deal with a different landscape, whichever it might be. Yeah. Moving on very quickly. Yeah. Anyways, in other news. In other news. There's yeah. not a lot of news right now. That's the thing. No, there's not. That's but we do we... have a few things we want to talk about. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go? I would love you to set this up, even though I think All we're right. going to be talking about articles I wrote first. We are going to talk about some stuff Dan talked about, but before we, before he wrote about, but before we get to these very controversial Well, one was lists, controversial, the other people completely forgot about. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, let's just, I want to do, let's give a shout out really cool. Well, first, let's talk about Charlotte. Um, okay, yeah. There's not a lot of AAC news going on, obviously, with like spring ending and, you know, we're just in that weird transition period, you know, so there's not a whole lot that's coming out, but today there was, um, a nice little piece about Charlotte, you know, unveiling their evergreen athletics facilities, which sounds so cool just to even say, um, and as you know, Charlotte will be a member of the conference, um, in the future. And so I think it's kind of neat to look at these schools that are coming in and stepping up their games so that they can compete um, at the, you know, at the next level after where they were. So mm-hmm. I think the renderings are beautiful. I saw, you know, it reminds me of when I saw the UCF renderings for the recovery cove and yeah. yet, you know, still haven't seen it in yeah. person, but can't wait to yeah. see that. That's still in progress. That's a work in yes. progress. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's no, cool to see this. The Charlotte thing, we don't know officially yet when the CUSA teams that are coming to right. the American are coming. Everyone assumes it's going to be for 2023, but we have to lawyer our way there to get to that right. point. Uh, Charlotte's a school I'm very excited about for the future of the AAC. They're in a really good growing media market, and they're investing in the program the way that, say, SMU and Memphis are investing in their programs right now. Memphis right. also, I don't know if this happened since the last time we recorded announced that they were doing renovations to the Liberty Bowl too. So oh, nice. I hadn't seen that. That's yeah, that awesome. was a couple weeks ago. Now I can't remember exactly the details on but they're going to be doing renovations too. Uh, so yeah, as the conference tries to maintain status as the top G5 conference and teams try to position themselves for the next round of realignment, these types of improvements are important. Look at USF. They finally got serious about it and are building an indoor practice facility and yeah. real talks about an on-campus stadium. Like that's Did you see the interview with Jeff Scott where he talked about, I don't know, you probably didn't see this because why would you, but they're talking about the indoor facility being built and he's talking about beam by beam and like literally this news report shows B-roll of the building being put up beam by beam and then Jeff Scott cuts to Jeff Scott saying that's how we're like approaching, you know, spring in this season, beam by yeah. beam. Like yeah, <laughs> I, I was will... like, yes, I love him. I'm glad you do. I think he... I like his energy a lot as a head coach and I like a lot of the things he's, I mean, don't get me wrong. The wins have to come at some point and we'll, this is not the podcast to discuss, discuss like hot seat, you know, coaches though. That is an off season topic. We could talk about like how hot is this topic so much. We'll skip it. it. Then we'll skip it. (laughs) Why don't you just do a list about it? All right. I might. Um, No, but you know, I mean, he does need to start winning games on the field because it, we're going into year three now, but the stuff he, the things he's done for USF off the field in terms of getting their donor base moving 
and getting yeah. facilities built like never before is huge. And it that, is, is, that can't be ignored. Uh, that it is a very impressive thing he's done with that is getting a community that's been slow to feel the need to build facilities to go. So I remember during the mm-hmm. Charlie Strong era, he would pretty loudly complain that during summer practices, half their practices were canceled because thunderstorms wiped them out and they didn't have an indoor field to go practice at. And that's, you want to talk about stunting development for your program, just lose half your practices, you know? And that's, I mean, that's the living in central Florida during the summer. It's just reality. You're going to get thunderstorms every afternoon. Right. And, you know, there's no avoiding it. But yeah. So I think it's, I, I think well, he's doing a lot of good mm-hmm. off the field. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Agreed. I do. And we'll get more into Jeff Scott later in this podcast. So definitely stay tuned yes. if you're a USF fan, but back to this Charlotte thing, the vision that they projected is a 12 to 15 year look at what the future holds for all of the 49ers athletics facilities, but they're currently focused on the 102 million phase yeah. one, which, you know, features the first expansion of Jerry Richardson stadium, um, a design for Yes, I have. And honestly, I like the stadium. I think it's very quaint. It's very, it's nice. I could see, you know, the, the concern that it is small because it is a small school and um, it's a, it's a small stadium, but it, it didn't feel like that. It felt nice and loud and fun. And I had a really, I thought it was a great experience because um, okay. you can go to smaller schools and it's, it feels not great, but this, I thought Charlotte felt really great. So I think it's interesting. They're going to do the expansion. Um, they're also going to design a new softball clubhouse, um, upgrade, you know, or they just recently upgraded the football locker room, which we got to see, you know, the club, I don't know what they were calling it club USF or club something after the games. And that was pretty fun oh, to club, watch. Was that club lit? Club lit. Maybe. I don't know what they called it. We'd have to have Hunter club, on to talk about it, but. Yeah, I know. I love Will Beely as a coach. I don't know how, like, he might be a coach who moves up at some point, but I do love him. He is a very, very well loved by that community and by the school. Um, phase one also includes the construction of a new stadium to be shared by men's and women's soccer. And something that's so cool is they're focusing on, you know, the transition to the AAC, the impending transition, mm-hmm. and the addition of their 19th sport, women's lacrosse. So that's going to be you know, focus for them moving forward. They're going to build a clubhouse for baseball and they're going to renovate men's and women's basketball locker rooms. So that's kind of this first phase of the Charlotte facilities expansion. And there'll be more to come obviously, but I think it's like you said, it's important that they're focusing on things like this and the future and, and getting not only that, but you know, raising the money, the, the fundraising efforts have started. And it's huge for recruiting to get yeah. this facility. Yeah. And you know what this should do in my opinion Let's kick ECU in the ass and tell them maybe, you know, tell them, Hey, you got, be very prepared. There's another team in this conference in the state of North Carolina, you know, not just, you know, now you have to recruit against app state in a much improved Sunbelt and app state's a great program. You've got like Ugh, five. Don't start with me at app state. Somebody I, said I know, that. Like, I, know oh, got, app state. I know you've got Terrible. problems with them as a program. And I'm not telling you, cause I know what your experience I know. was there. I'm not, Yeah. but they win and they get players. And that's the reality. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I, that's the same right. thing. You don't like Lane Kiffin either, but he knows offense and you can't deny but it. But this is different. This is like everyone, they're calling, oh, it's it's the fun belt. It's so fun. No, it was literally the most okay. scary, horrifying thing I've ever seen in college football. And that's, I've covered a lot of college football. That's fair. So Coastal Carolina anyways. fits the fun belt though. So, you know. Yeah, they do. Right? A, but, but I've heard that their fans 
can be, I mean, that's the thing is everywhere has everywhere mean fans. Too. That's just what it is. This was different. This was like, I just like heard words yeah. that, you know, I don't, I'm not a prude, but I had not heard things like that. And it was horrifying. But anyway, so a shout out to Charlotte. It's awesome to see. We're excited for, you know, when they join the conference. So those of you wondering why we're not talking about the AC, because we're talking about the future, which is important. So Definitely. And I, um, like I said, I think Charlotte has the potential to be a very good AAC school in mm-hmm. four or five years time, probably. Yeah. I think they're, they're a good future bet if you're looking for that kind of thing. Um, yeah. No, not a I got lot of, one more piece of, I got oh, one more piece of things to, to talk about news again. Emily is just no. killing it. Well, this one is an AAC. So sorry okay. guys, but I'm, I need to do this for women in sports. Quick shout out right now. The NCAA D one women's golf championship is currently going on. They are in, I believe the, I want to say the sem, what, what you call the semis today. And it's actually being updated. Like as we record this, um, there are two teams going head to head to find out who they're going to be the two spots in the championship tomorrow. And the, uh, I believe it's Stanford and, um, Auburn and then Oregon and oh, I should have been more prepared for this Oregon <laughs> and, um, <laughs> Uh, oh yeah. Stanford and Auburn, Oregon, Texas A&M. So they're going ahead, ahead right now. Stanford's the number one overall seed for the second time in a row, which is awesome for Stanford and the individual championship or champion was crowned and it was Rose Zhang from Stanford. And she is a freshman golfer and she is the 10th women's golfer 10th freshman to win the individual title, which I think is so cool in a sport like this, where, you know, you don't, you don't in sports, you don't get to see young people make that much of an impact, but in golf, especially women's golf, you get to see that a lot. So shout out to Stanford, shout out to her. Also San Jose state, my other local school, their best golfer, um, who I'm also, her last name is Oon. Um, she got second. So Bay area is just killing it in women's golf right now. So Bay area has got good golf historically. Yes. That's where Tiger Woods went to Stanford. Um, that's anyways. exactly correct. So anyways, yeah. that's my shout out. Watch more women's sports. Get ready for oh. the U.S. Women's Open and next year in Pebble Beach. Yes. And while we're doing shout outs to women's sports, I should say UCF uh, softball team hosted their regional, won their regional. They're on to the super regional. They're the only G5 team to do so. Nice. So shout out to them. There we go. Yeah. Shout out to them. Uh, moving right. on to more AAC football talk. Um we kind of teased it. I don't know if that we really properly teased it, but earlier, but I wrote a, I've been doing a series of articles as we approach the first, uh, the end of the first decade of playing the American athletic conference and this pretty massive shakeup to the conference's structure. I've been doing a series of articles, top five players, age position in the conference's brief history started with quarterbacks. Ryan Bex is out too. Uh, I'm currently writing wide receivers and tight ends are coming out soon. Those are going to be two separate ones. Yeah. Uh, so stay on the lookout for those as well. Uh, and we were going to talk about those articles really quickly. The quarterback one had a lot of Cincinnati fans mad because I yeah. left Desmond Ritter off. Uh, and I didn't and, have, I didn't have anything to do with this article. Like, no, yes, no, this I knew is 100% Dan, me. And right. I knew Dan was it. writing it, which is fine. But then all of a sudden our podcast gets dragged through the mud because apparently we are anti Cincinnati and and because Desmond Ritter's not on this list. Spoiler alert. Okay. Sorry. But also like, you know, I have said things with regarding Alec Pierce. I've said things about, you know, their team in general. I like Luke fickle. I interviewed him. 
At the night, I think he's. <sighs> I think Luke Fickle's a great coach. Uh, I'm going to eventually do a top coach. five. He's a good coaches. guy. Yeah, I'm eventually going to do top five coaches. That's going to be the last article I read in this kind of series. Oh, Luke Fickle's frankly going to be number one. He just is. Interesting. You know? Okay. I'll tell you that now. He's See, I don't one. know that I'd put him number one, but I. I. He's up. He's definitely in the top five. He inherited a terrible Cincinnati team from Tommy Tuberville, and he turned it around pretty quick. And I can't ignore the playoff for a coach. But uh, yeah, but coming after Tommy Tuberville is like coming after you know, <laughs> like a villain in a Batman movie. Yeah, of course you're going to look amazing after that. I he mean, did turn it you around. Put Nick Saban after oh, that, he's going to look great after all this. So I mean, <laughs> Jesus, that's a pretty I, low bar, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, we. I think we can all agree. <laughs> that the U.S. senator who doesn't know the three branches of government is a low bar to pass. <laughs> um, All right. Well, let's start yes. off this quarterback's list. I just wanted Do to preface to... it and say I, I'm okay. not anti-Cincinnati. For those of you listening, I'm not going to say your name from Twitter because it's not worth it. But I do like Cincinnati. I just thought they were overrated. I thought some of the guys on the team were a little too cocky during games for my liking. Yeah, Um, you, I'll I'll just say it for you. I'll just say it for you. You went to multiple Cincinnati games this past year. What you said about, and I'm going to specifically say Alec Pierce, because I think that's the one you were most heavily criticized for for saying that. You said he was cocky. You did. Uh, I did. He plays. That, he, that's how. But that's because you went to games and you were reporting on his actions at the games. That's mm-hmm. all. And right. That was our experience that, with him. Right. That a lot of fans don't go to games. A lot of fans only see what's on TV. And a lot of times you don't see what guys are doing for trash talk on TV or how they're. Right. And that's fine. Like. Yeah. But that so. that's all. So we're going to drop it. I mean, another spoiler. Right. Alec Pierce ain't a top five wide receiver. So if you're expecting right. him there, he's not. <laughs> He's um, anyways, uh, my quarterback right. list, uh, as yes. it were, was number five, Blake Bortles, number four, Keenan Reynolds, number three, Derek King, number two, Quentin Flowers, and number one, Mackenzie Milton. I want your immediate thoughts on the list. Yeah, I, well, first of all, two UCF quarterbacks is a tough sell when people know that you, you know, are a UCF, I went to UCF. Yeah, I went right. to UCF. Yeah, oh, I know. Right, yep. Right. Again, I've said it it's a tough podcast. sell. It's a to tough UCF. sell for people who are going to just be like, that's a Homer opinion. But I will say this. I liked everything sandwiched in between. I thought Keenan Reynolds was a great choice. Um, what an incredible athlete just in general. And yeah. and you kind of forget about him, you know, as, as the tough thing maybe. Was for me with both Bortles and Reynolds, I'll say is they right. only played one year in the American, right. which was where I, I almost put Malcolm Perry ahead of Keenan Reynolds for the purpose oh. of this list, because he played his whole career in the American and he was great, right. but he, I mean, but he just wasn't Keenan as good. Reynolds yeah. Like 24 touchdowns. Yeah. In one year he was in the American. He, it he was incredible. Like, it was insane. I don't like, I will say this. I didn't love Derek King when he was at Houston. I liked him. I did not like the rest of his career. So it's hard for me to Injuries, separate. Yeah. Injuries it's hard to separate it out for me, but, but yes, he was, he was at great. Houston, he was electric mm-hmm. and like yeah. anytime he touched the ball, it could be an 80 yard touchdown either so through the air on the ground. And that's why I was like, it's really sad how that all went bad. I recently read an article from Sam Kahn on the athletic about, you know, Dana Holgerson and his whole red shirt, you know, tactic. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the whole thing. And I was at that game where they played Tulane. Yeah. And that was kind of the beginning of that end. And I thought the whole thing was bullshit. I thought it was terrible how that was handled. And, and that was apparent in the trajectory of his career because he could have been, you know, great. And it's, it's, so he went to Miami, obviously after that, Mm -hmm. uh, it was a transfer situation because a million reasons why you transfer and like I said, we never like to necessarily guess. The biggest right one has to be 
common sense, Dana Holgerson asked him to sit out because they weren't going to, right. They weren't going to have a good season. So he said, he told a bunch of guys sit out so they could tank and then just start over next year. And basically a year with the seniors to have had a whole year in the system to like learn it. It was, it was a very weird way that Dana tried to game the system that year. Uh, King transferred to Miami. Miami is a power five opportunity to play. Uh, He probably knew he had it before he entered the transfer portal. It was a chance for him to choose his coach instead of a coach be chosen from yada, yada. There's a million reasons why guys transfer. And he started out. Okay. He had a good first year at Miami before his ACL in the bowl game. And he was never healthy again properly after that. Right. But I would say this, I went and saw him play in person at Miami and I could tell there was a learning curve. There was a definite, like I saw him in his first game and you could see that he was had that the vision. Florida? No, it was UAB. Okay. I'm a year off on then when Miami played. Yeah, them. it was okay. back. Yeah, it was, it was during COVID. It was the COVID year. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. The year they played was uh, right. Florida Miami was the year before COVID. Right. And yeah, so okay. um, you could tell that it was going to be a, a challenge for him to get in and fit in there and like actually play up to the level. So I was curious to see how that progressed, but then obviously injury anyway. So I like him, but I love the Quentin flowers. Love, love, oh, love absolutely. that. He's he incredible. Was, yeah. One of my Quentin favorite flowers, players. The so only knock on him is that he never won a conference championship. He never got over yeah. that hump. Because that, in 2016, they lost to Temple and P.J. Walker, mm-hmm. who was another player people were a little bit mad I left off. And you know what? P.J. Walker is a good case to be on the list at number five, I'd say. he The stats are there. He won the conference. There's a good case. Um, I just think it's really – people are never going to accept you putting Mackenzie Milton first. They're just not. Oh, I completely, it's just tough. Mackenzie Milton was a two-time conference player of the year. He finished top ten in the Heisman voting twice. And like, mm-hmm. I know his injury got, he missed his senior year because of the injury and it was different when he came back. It was different. Right. That's undeniable, but he was right. great, but he was, there was no one who I would want more than 2017 McKenzie Milton and the entire conference's history. I think I'd be more willing to hear an argument that Blake Bortles only played one year. And while it was a great year with, you know, some great moments in it, which mm-hmm. he did. I'd be more willing to hear that Greg Ward should have gotten on or PJ Walker or, you know, I'm not going to say Desmond Ritter as I think a lot of guys could have done what Desmond Ritter did. And that's my, that was my issue with him was I think Desmond Ritter was a great leader and a good decision maker, but I don't think he elevated the team the way the quarterbacks on my list elevated their teams. Uh, I think that he, if you put someone like Riley Ferguson in, they would have had the same success. It's also a different game now than when some of these guys were playing. And I think that's something you have to look at is that you're talking about players that were just built different. Blake Bortles built different, you know, even. Yeah. He was a pro style guy versus a lot of spread guys. How do you compare the Navy quarterbacks to the rest of the conference? It's very difficult to do. It's really um, hard. Keenan Reynolds though was a was just a, a game. He was just he an athlete. Like he was needed acknowledgement. Yeah, yeah, he was incredible. Just what he did, and I think that's the best way to look at something like this when you're talking about what are the criteria for a top five, you know, all conference list. You have to look at the players that did the most for their teams, right? Mm-hmm. And that's and and you know that's. Yeah. 
It's that was my argument for Christian McCaffrey not winning. He should have won the Heisman over Derrick Henry because he did more for Stanford, like as a whole, like for the team. I mean, not only did he run the ball, he was special teams. He did. He led in this and this. You know what I mean? So you're looking at yeah, guys cool. that did more. And Desmond Ritter, while he was great, I mean, yes, he he broke that school record I, in touchdowns, I, but I just think it was more about the defense. Mm-hmm. I really do. There, I and agree that's, with you. You know, Trent Dilfer's got a Super Bowl, but it was about the defense. Right. And that's kind of my thought on Desmond right. Ritter. I hope he has a great NFL career. I'm really not trying to like crap on the guy. No, yeah. I'm excited to watch him. He's, you he want to root for him. Being great leader. Yeah. yeah. Like this is really not about me trying to be like down on him. No. It's more about being up on other players more. Uh, you mentioned Christian McCaffrey. He was a running back. I got my top five running backs out too. So I'll run through that yes. real quick. Less controversial. I think uh, I had Dontrell Hilliard, number five, D'Angelo Brewer, the all-time AAC leading rusher at number four. Xavier Jones from SMU at number three, Marlon Mack, the uh, South Florida Bull at number two, and Daryl Henderson, number one. It's a good uh, list. Do you have any issues? I, ha- I mean, I don't. So my history with the conference is not as uh, steeped as you, but I do. I did like Daryl Henderson. So I first started paying attention oh. to Memphis when he was when it was his disgustingly explosive. Runner. Just incredible. Yeah. And, and to be able to see him progress, I actually went and covered a Memphis game, I think against UConn, at UConn. I'm pretty sure he was, it was either him or the running back that came after him that took over, uh, Pollard. Tony Pollard. Um, they were at the Pollard, same time yeah. for a while. Then it might have been both, but I remember yeah. seeing it in person. I was just like, oh my God. Like, you it know, looks explosive had, on screen, but Jesus. Yeah, Memphis had a run of running backs. Yeah. Kenny Gainwell was there, Tony Pollard, yeah. Antonio Gibson. They were stacked with guys who could run the ball. Yeah. Um, no, it's yeah. a good list. Marlon Mack at number two. He mm-hmm. and Quentin Flowers shared a backfield at one time in the USF still managed not win the conference. <laughs> the 2016 USF team should have <sighs> won the conference. It's ridiculous that they did, frankly. In hindsight, it's completely ridiculous that they let Temple beat them in the regular season. And mm-hmm. if it wasn't for UCF blowing a lead to Temple, they still would have gone on to play Navy in the conference championship game. But UCF blew a lead to Temple, which kind of, in hindsight, is what ended up with the uh, conference as it, or uh, the conference championship game as it was. So that's fine. This is one position where you couldn't put a UCF player. I nearly put Otis Anderson. He was a Otis Anderson, by the way, rest in peace, who Mm -hmm. unfortunately had terrible, terrible death about a little uh, less than a year ago, like six months ago. Yeah. Not even. Um, He was a great running back, but the UCF used him as a wide receiver half the time. So his stats don't quite match up. Right. Complete great all around player. Uh, Probably number six on my list. I had. Yeah, I see him. He's the first under there. Yeah, there's there's a million running backs in this conference that could have gone in. Yeah, there's a lot. I like Shamari Brooks on there. Jerome Ford. Obviously, we give a shout out to Jerome Ford. One of the great. I think he's. Michael Warren. I would probably move him up. Michael Mm -hmm. Warren had better numbers than Ford, though, at Cincinnati. Yeah, but again, different. It's it's this only a couple, especially years in the last. Yeah, but the last two years have changed so much, in my opinion. Oh, that's so it's different. But I like Jerome Ford; he's good. Definitely um, worth definitely worth the recognition. Uh, yeah, UCF yeah. has a ton of guys: Adrian Killens, Greg McRae, Storm, Storm Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. Love Storm oh Johnson. My God. He was from yeah. the 2013 team. Uh, that's crazy. I don't think I put William Stan back on the uh, list of best of the rest because, man, yeah. he killed me. He would kill me the way they used him and just <laughs> went, run, ran him into a brick wall in 2014 and 2015. Um, 
Yeah, Tulsa said Alton McCaskill got on there. Yeah, he's I a he's a future bet for me. I'm unfortunately he's injured right now and going into the 20, right. uh, 22 season. But he had such but a great a, freshman yeah. season that I think he's a safe future bet. Uh, yeah, this is a great conference for skill position talent historically, and I think yes. it's going to continue to be so. Uh, the wide receiver yeah. list incredibly difficult to come up with. Um, I'll give you another spoiler. I didn't put a UCF guy in the top five wide receivers. <laughs> and does this oh. a spoiler? But two SMU Mustangs okay. made it. Oh wow! Yeah, okay, well I can't wait to see what that one is. Yeah, that's a spoiler alert. Well, Dan, we appreciate your lists as ever, and we look forward uh, to the rest of them. But your list got me thinking of a list of my own. Now I don't know that I have the chops to tackle ranking all conference players, but I have been working on some stories about schedules. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if yeah, people have been good stories too. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I have all these interviews with coaches and I was like, I got to do something with them. So I talked to almost like half of the conferences head coaches about what they look at when they get their schedule out. What do they see? What's important? You know, what does it mean? And, you know, I published the first one with SMU's Rhett Lashley. You guys have heard the quotes from him in the previous podcast, but if you want yeah. to check out this the is article. A pro, this is a pro Rhett Lashley podcast. Yes, we, we love we love Rhett Lashley and what he's doing, but the article is a greater breakdown of what he thinks. He actually walks you through SMU's schedule game by game, which is so cool. Um, and then the one I published uh, today was, you know, with USF head coach Jeff Scott, very interesting takes on what is important in a schedule. So uh, he like, for example, he likes the first game that's to him is like, that's such a, a big motivator, important. right? Especially when you have a game like BYU on your schedule. So that may, that got me to thinking, how would we rank the, you know, the American game openers? Yeah. How, how would those rank for us? So I sent them to Dan today and we did our own rankings of American conference openers. So yeah. Dan's going to go ahead and, and I think, walk us through the breakdown here. Yeah, I think we're going to power rank this where Emily and I are going to go from 11 to 1. We're going to give our opinion okay. on each one. We don't have to reach a consensus by any means. We're not trying to uh, – I think that that's a little bit more in-depth than we need to go to be debating which one's 6 and which one's 7. But I think just you know what we think at each level and why we think it belongs in that consideration. And I'm going to be honest with you. We're going to be pretty quick for the first few games because not every game is super interesting. Um, So that means we're starting at number 11 where I put Delaware Navy. I think everyone knows why that's number 11. When I say Delaware (laughs) Navy, Uh, it's an FCS opponent for Navy. Very important that they win the game. Very important that they know that everything's functioning right. Very bad if they lose. Nothing else to say. Yeah. Well, I put Temple at Duke. I have Delaware at Navy right above that, just spoiler alert. But I put Temple at Duke because for the reason Dan didn't put them there is because he's interested in in the two new head coaches Mm -hmm. and the direction. That's why I don't I'm not interested in the game because it's just, I think, going to be a mess, especially coming out of everything. So it's 100. Both teams are a disaster, if we're being honest. And I. I say that with love, Temple fans. It's going to be a disaster yeah. this year, and that's not a shot at Stan Drayden as a head coach. I don't know. I don't know what he'll be as a head coach yet, and that's why I've actually got that game at number nine. It's not going to be good to watch, but I think from a scientific perspective, it's more important than the two FCS games, which number 10, by the way, is South Carolina State. For me, it's South Carolina State-UCF. 
Obviously, I oh, went to UCF. Wow. Okay. I went to UCF. I'm very interested to see what a few of the new transfers like John Rice Plumley look like. Mm-hmm. But come on, it's again, it's an FCS game. It's just yeah. At ten, I put Delaware Navy. At nine, I actually had SMU at North Texas because while I'm very excited to see what SMU does this year, I don't like. I mean, I know it's a, a rivalry. I don't even know if it's a rivalry. It's, it's a I, proximity I rivalry. Think, I just I have SMU oh. North Texas at number five on my oh list. My God, I'm because just, North Texas looking, is no, because North Texas yeah. is joining the AAC in the year. So this is to me is a preview of a conference matchup for years to come. But they're just, they're not that good. So it's going to be. No, they're not. It's going it's, it's not going to be a but, good game. Okay. And it, but we got to see first game for Rhett Lashley. Yeah. Uh, but I, it's not going to be a good litmus test. Okay. But like, who cares? Because they're joining the I, conference in the year. That's what I'm saying though. Game. But if, I think if, there's storylines. I got storylines. Yeah. But if you're talking about ranking like best first games, like I don't, it's. See, like, I guess my not, best first games, I did most interesting to me more than best. Like. I guess how I defined best was which ones I found interesting. Right. But like, it also has to include like, if it's going to be a good game or not. Well, that's a factor. Sure. But like, it should be a main factor. I think like how good you're or interesting of a matchup, a good, your opponent is, is what makes like a good opening game. I think like, for I think I, it's good. You put UCF down low because yes, it's, they, they it didn't should be a blowout. Yeah. yeah. It right. should be a blowout. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to watch okay. the crap out of that on Thursday night, but like yeah, it should be, I expect them to win 50 to nothing. You know? Right. Right. Um, okay. So that was your number 10 was yep. SMU North Texas. Mm-hmm. I just said my number nine is Temple Duke. Who's your number nine? South Carolina state at UCF. Okay. We don't need to relitigate that right. then. Exactly. Uh, my number eight is UMass at Tulane. Oh I my think, God. Me too. Okay. <laughs> yes. I think I've made it abundantly clear that I went yes. to two schools in my college career, UCF and UMass. Yes. I am. I'm trying to find a way to justify going to New Orleans for that weekend because <laughs> you I would like, I'm trying to find a justification for it right now. Plane tickets are expensive to the point where I will not be able to justify it because mm. I have Just to drive. fly. I have to fly. Well, ugh, no, uh, I have to fly <laughs> to Maine in September for a wedding. I have to mm. fly back home in June to then fly to Ireland. Uh, mm. Yeah. Take a trip at the end of June. Not that anyone needs to know. it's not that important it's just a family vacation but i think you you should do it it's 100 percent worth it to go to tulane i want to and that's the game i would like to go to because again i've got a connection to umass UMass, yeah obviously uh umass i think there's there's and honestly new head coach there how does tulane bounce back blah 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 it shouldn't be good because umass never makes a good football game yeah but tulane is i mean like you know I love Tulane. I think they they have a lot of good talent, they but I think scores. they struggle putting stuff together, especially in games like this. So I okay. I think it might be interesting. I in the first you, half. I watched UMass play in the calendar in the past calendar year, and t- if Tulane doesn't win by four scores, there's something wrong with them. Well, it's a new head. There coach. might be something wrong with Don them. Brown. We're gonna see the Don Brown uh, defense right. go at them, and you know. I'll leave it at that. We'll see what okay. happens. Um, my number seven, number seven is BYU at USF. That's where okay. I put that. Uh, I'm interested to see what both teams look like. If mm-hmm. it goes the way I think it goes, it won't be a competitive game. Because I think BYU is a very good team and USF is still a young rebuilding team. But I'm interested. Well, to you, I don't like. know that if you read all of my article then because... I, 
one of the things that we talked about with that game, which I have at number three, okay. is that um, when they went to BYU, you should read the article because you guys listening, because he, you know, Jeff Scott talks about what it was like to play at BYU and it was one of the yeah. best atmospheres he's ever been in. Well, he's talking about when they have to come here to South Florida, they're, you know, they're hoping the to, he's, right. He's hoping yeah. for, a, because it's a long flight. You have a time change and, well, and, uh, and then they're hoping for, mm-hmm. God, what I'm trying to remember what year was it? Because BYU's played at USF before. And mm. either it might have been the COVID year or it might have been the year before, but it was a year where USF was not a good, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was a year USF was not good. They were bad, actively okay. bad, and BYU was pretty good. And it was a closer game than it should have been in Tampa. And I do think that that travel and humidity do play a factor. Uh, BYU's right. played games at UCF before that they've lost when they were probably the better team. And again, I think mm-hmm. that travel and that humidity are huge factors. Now, UCF, I will, to the day I die, say is a better crowd than. USF has, but mm-hmm. at the same, but I mean, you've been to UCF for games. I've been to UCF for mm-hmm. games. It's the surface of the sun. Right. So I'm, I'm thinking, you know, that's an early September date. You get oh, a midday so kick, a hundred degree weather there. So an, that should right. be a new kick, frankly. Right. And so I'm thinking that's going to actually be a very interesting game because BYU is going to have to overcome some stuff in that regard. And then you talk well, about new faces. USF also yes. added a transfer at quarterback from uh, right. Baylor. I was just about to say that. Okay. Okay. I'll back off. I'll let you say So they're piece. about, they add all these new faces, right? But they're also returning 16 seniors who decided to utilize that COVID year, um, including like very big pieces of their defenses. Um, I I don't think it's going to be as problematic offset. as you think it's going to okay. be. I I still so. I might believe it when I see it with USF. I do think mm-hmm. that Jimmy Horn's one of the most exciting young wide receivers in the conference. So mm-hmm. if they can get him the ball, they can keep up with teams. I think. Yeah, I hope. I hope I'm, they, I'm I hope they can. That's why. Them. But like, I have them. We'll see what happens. Yeah, like I said, I'm I'm still believe it when I see it on them. Uh, that was number seven. Uh, who's number no, that six? was that was number six. seven for me. It wasn't. No, that was seven. seven. Okay, I had, right. I had Tulsa at Wyoming at at seven. Same. I think that's exactly that's exactly why I have Tulsa Wyoming number six. Oh, okay. You have them at six. I have them. I didn't say my seven because we were at eight for UMass Tulane, right? Okay. Yes. And then I said, yeah, sorry. I'm you said off. BYU is BYU. okay. Um so it was your seven. Sorry. You said right. So my seven's Tulsa at Wyoming, which if you have at six, then you're probably right in the same boat. It's an interesting game, but nothing it's a, overwhelming. I'm interested by Tulsa this year. I think Davis brings the mm-hmm. potential to break out and be a very good quarterback. I want to see them put it together and be a fully well-rounded team because they've been very good on the line the past couple of years. They've had a good defense. Mm-hmm. They kind of like it's bits and pieces though. It's not, it's not 100% all the time. And that keeps right. them just a level below the top of the conference for the most part. Wyoming's a tricky game. Craig Bowles is a really good coach. They have to go to it's at altitude. That's mm-hmm. no joke. It's like 10, like, I forget the exact date, but it's like as high at altitude as you're going to play in college football at Wyoming. And it's tough. Right. You know? Yeah. But it's a beautiful stadium. So I mean, they're, they're very, they're going to, it's going to be a good, I think it'll be, I'll watch it, but I'm not like that one could go either way for me. So I'm not super. That's a really good record and watch on Tuesday game. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's too many games. I end up watching games throughout the week like that. 
I try right. to watch I try to watch all the AAC games by the end of the day someday, but uh yeah, that's a that'll be a good one to keep an eye on. We'll see what happens. All right, well, it. you have them at six. So I at six have NC State at ECU. Ooh, I've got that up at three. Because it's a really, really okay. interesting in-state matchup. NC State, a lot of people are picking them as a uh, not so dark horse to win the ACC this year. Uh, I think ECU's a team on the rise pretty hard right now, pretty mm-hmm. going shooting up there. I'm very interested to see what they look like against a team that is a popular pick in a Power Five conference. And so, not quite a rivalry game, but it's a very in state bragging rights game. You know? Yeah. It's a very, and I think, they played that before uh, in Charlotte, right? They've played it a Didn't bunch. They... And they've, they've played a bunch of times yeah. in their history. Uh, I think they've played for the Peach Bowl before, too. Um, yeah. But it's at but this, ECU. This time it's ECU. It's at yeah, ECU. So, I'm really that, excited to see the crowd yeah. there. That's why I've got mm-hmm. a little bit higher than you do. Um, gotcha. You've got six. I've got three. My number five, I, we already mentioned it. That's right. But SMU North Texas, I think there's a couple storylines mm-hmm. that are worth following there. Uh, Rhett Lashley's first game at head coach. How does SMU replace a lot of skill talent that moved on to the NFL or transferred over to, oh God, uh, was it Ole Miss? That, uh, Never mind. Not important. Uh, and then okay. North Texas is like a year or so away from joining the AAC. So it's a future mm-hmm. conference game too. Possibly a future rivalry game. It's already kind of a rivalry game, but it could heat up in the future. So I'm interested by it. I just don't ever see that being the case because North Texas can't, unless they change some things about their program drastically, they're yeah. not they're not a contender. Okay. So it's not going to be a well, good game. I will so. say when the AAC announced the six new additions, there was two that didn't make sense to me or that right. made some sense, but I wasn't all on board with. Right. And they're in North Texas and Rice. Rice right. made sense because they're in Houston and you're trying to retain that media market. It didn't make sense because that's a school that does, just doesn't care about football. North Texas, right. it's not in a media market to speak of. And they might care, but when are they ever good? Right. It, it's a program with a lot of uphill battles. It is. Right. And Seth Luttrell should have struck when the iron was hot a few years ago because mm. it feels like a sinking ship from anyways. Number four, right? We've did you do your number five? Sorry, no, you didn't do. No, I did not. Cincinnati at Arkansas. Okay, that's my number four. So, yeah, we're we're right around the same place. We're close. Yeah, I I mean that's one of those games like people are going to be watching to see what Cincinnati does after this historic season, which they're going to be a little disappointed because there's going to be a little bit of a drop off, and then Arkansas is like one of those teams where you you think I personally think of them as like eh, but then. And they do some crazy stuff and they actually messed around and were decent. Right. So that's going to be an interesting yeah. game. I don't know since he goes in there and wins that though. Okay. Yeah. So my understanding of Arkansas and I'm by no means an mm-hmm. SEC expert was that Chad Morris, our old SMU friend uh, mm-hmm. went in there and he did a really good job recruiting. Actually, that was a very talented mm-hmm. team that he left. He right. was really bad at game planning and things like that, which is why they were so bad when he was there. And right. which is unfortunate because Chad Morris isn't a bad guy, yada, yada, whatever. Um, so they're a very talented, a big, strong SEC West team. Since in, now the problem they have is they have to play LSU, Texas A&M, Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, all of them every year, you know, and just, yeah, it's hard to have a good looking record when that's your schedule. It just is Cincinnati. Right. You're turning over 
half, more than half of your defense, your starting quarterback, your top wide receiver, right. your top running back. Cincinnati, I'm going to say this now. I think you take a step back this year. It's not, no, you recruited very well for the level of the conference. I don't think Cincinnati is going to be a bad team. I just think it's impossible to expect undefeated. And I think it's more probable to expect like nine and three, 10 and two. And this is an easy mm-hmm. game to lose when you look at it there. You're going up against a team that's big, fast, and strong, and you're transitioning to a lot of new players. But it's going to be very interesting. I think it's a very interesting game to look out for. Because Cincinnati could win it. They recruit well enough to hypothetically win the coach well enough to win it. I think the the biggest reason they wouldn't is because it's not at Nippert. But that with that, that being hurt. that being said, you know, Arkansas was a nine nine win season, um, which was like and their bowl victory was their first since 2015. So it was a good year for them, but there is going to be a drop off for them as well. And people have them winning about six point, like six, six games this upcoming season because yeah. you lose their linebacking core. Um, I think 101 tackles combined between mm-hmm. Hayden Henry and Grant Morgan. That's a huge loss for the defense. It is. I don't know how, I don't know how you replace that. Um, oh. So who, who then steps up for their defense? Then you have to replace uh, Traylon Burks, who was their biggest targeted wide receiver. Yeah. Uh, first round draft pick for the Titans. If for those of you who don't know, and then, mm-hmm. you know, you got to deal with all of the transfer portal stuff, obviously the bigger SEC school, SEC schools in general, utilizing that more so than we see at, at group of five schools um, with like bigger impact players coming in. You're talking broadly yeah. speaking. Yeah. Broadly yes. speaking. Um, well, that's what but I don't think Cincinnati is like someone who's going to out yeah. transfer portal Arkansas when it comes to like, Quality, not quantity, is what I mean. I mean, Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, I will say are in a weird place for the all that stuff because they're transitioning to the Power Five, mm-hmm. which like, oh, it's weird. It just it's an in between kind of phase. But yeah, you're right. In general, the Power Five teams mm-hmm. get players transferring up, and G five teams get players transferring down for playing time. Correct. In so. general, unless they're going like all things being equal to all things being equal, you know. Right. Um, so there's a lot of holes that Arkansas to fill. So could both, Cincinnati yeah. win a hundred percent? Do I think it's likely because it's in Arkansas? No, but I, it's I'm worth definitely going to watch. You know, it, watching though. it's going to be yeah, yeah it's going to be great. I want so, and I should say we want Cincinnati to win. This is an AAC podcast. We yes, root for in non-conference do. games. We root for every AAC school. Yes. I know USF fans don't believe that I root for them, but I want them to beat BYU. Like it just yeah. that fact is that. You have to try to speak honestly about it. I just, I'm very concerned about Cincinnati's turnover, especially in the first couple yeah. of weeks of the year. Uh, anyways, that was your number five, my number four. Who's mm-hmm. your number four? BYU at USF for all the okay. reasons we talked about. <laughs> gotcha. My so number. We don't have to go over that. Yeah. Won't what's your... Number number three was NC State ECU, which we already kind of litigated a little bit on my end. Um, yes. I really like it as an in-state matchup. It'll be a hard fought game. Rise. Like it'll be. Yeah. I think both teams it'll are on the fun. rise. It's. I'm very interested by it. Definitely going to watch it. Who's your number three? No, that so B, BYU at. Did I get? I thought that BYU, you said that was your number four. No, Cincy Arkansas was number four. BYU so USF, USF. Okay. No, we yeah. didn't. We're just like going we're off just chopping topic up. a little bit. We're, we're um, chopping. My number two is Memphis at Mississippi State. Okay, that was my number one. Um, okay, so you must have Houston. UTSA at number two. Yeah, right. so we flip flop. I have them at number one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what, they're both going to be great games. 
And what I love about the Memphis Mississippi State game is how last year's game went for a couple of reasons. Liberty yes. Bowl said no cowbells. Now they have to go to Mississippi State and get all the cowbells. And on yes. top of that, the way that game went down with that funky punt return for a touchdown, that was mm-hmm. really the deciding factor in the game. Mississippi State wants revenge. It's a huge game for Memphis, who is replacing Calvin Austin. And mm-hmm. they need Seth Hennigan to take a big step forward. And they need their offense to become a more consistently explosive entity again. Replacing Mike McIntyre as defense coordinator, I'm very interested mm-hmm. by what the Tigers look like this year. You know, it's kind of a uh, a little bit of a nut up or shut up year for Ryan Silverfield and that staff. They need to prove that they didn't just inherit a good team from, you know, the previous regime, Mike Norvell, and are stubbing their toe a little bit. They need to prove that they're mm-hmm. doing something with it. So I'm very yeah. interested by all that. Um, yeah. Then you had Houston UTSA number one. Another future yes. AAC matchup. No, sorry. Strike that. Reverse it. Houston said to the Big 12. (laughs) They are out. Yes. But I think it's with all the attention UTSA got and how talented they were as a team. um, I think it's it's going to be a dogfight. You know, Houston is good and we're all saying that they're good and we all think they're going to be great. But there were a lot of times when Houston didn't look as good as they should have. I'm so excited to see what Clayton Toon looks like this year. Yeah, I think he's ready. To, I think he's ready to be the best quarterback in the conference. Mm-hmm. And I, we're not doing previews yet. And I haven't deep do, like done a deep dive into any team in this conference beyond what I normally just sort of keep track of. I don't, I think Houston has to be the clear favorite to win it. And the UTSA is probably the one of the favorites to win conference USA. Mm-hmm. They lose sincere McCormick, who is a workhorse, do everything running back for them. He's right. with the Raiders now, um, but they—I still think they're a great team. It's at the Alamo Dome. Too. It's at the Alamo Dome, yeah. And that was my other point: is like that's such a—that's awesome. Like for two Texas teams playing, getting to start their season in a in a stadium like that, you know, that's that's what you like to see. And I think they're both. There's going to be like a lot of fight in this because of the prox- you know, Texas schools yeah. and very yeah. excited for both of those two games. Yeah. I'm excited for all of week one, to be honest. Yeah. All the way down to Delaware Navy. <laughs> yeah. I am excited. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. can't wait for real football so that we don't have to talk about what Nick Saban said about Jimbo Fisher because it's boring. Let's well, be honest with ourselves for a second. That's interesting mm-hmm. for an afternoon on Twitter, but it doesn't, but then people ride into the ground. Well, instead of listening to Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher in in the vein of talking about, you know, venues and where it's fun to play and where it's hard to play. Why don't we take a listen to USF head coach Jeff Scott and what he had to say about the opening game on the Bulls schedule? Right. right. And so 
it gives you an opportunity early on to kind of see where you are and see what you need to work on. And uh, so I, I love a, a great challenging game like this for the first game. And uh, I love that we're getting an opportunity to play them at our place. We went out there last year. That was a long flight, time change, and, and uh, altitude and all that. So uh, we're, we're hoping for a good uh, 12 noon, 100 degree, uh, 12 noon kickoff right here in Rachel. I've coached in, in many of the top uh, mm-hmm. stadiums in the country. Uh, you know, being 12 years at Clemson and then also just uh, with my dad coaching five years at the University of South Carolina as the head coach. Right. I went to a lot of SEC. And I would say whenever we pulled into the BYU, number one is the buses were, were driving to the locker room. Uh, there was Their students were lined up for about 400 yards <laughs> to get in. Uh, this is two and a half hours before the game. Yeah. And then we're sitting in the locker room an hour and a half before the game a lot about that opening game with BYU and it is an important one and everything that goes in with that prepping for it. What I think is interesting is how much he is really excited, how much he loves playing at BYU that in the atmosphere they have there. It's obviously a gorgeous stadium, but this is a guy who was at Clemson for a long time. <laughs> it's like his favorite atmosphere, not Lane stadium at Virginia tech, not Florida state, anything like that. Uh, I think that's interesting that he loved that atmosphere. I think so he much. was just surprised that there was so much passionate people there on a West Coast at a West Coast football game. I think that's what oh, it was. <laughs> I, I never BYU because it is a Mormon institution. I think sometimes mm-hmm. people think it's gonna be sit on your hands because no, there's no drinking. Crazy. There's no drinking or anything right. like that there. So I think people kind of like go, oh, they must be a little bit more laid back. Yeah. So that might be something to do with it. Um maybe. Yeah. He was, he is, he was, he liked it and he's excited to have him back so that, you know, yeah. 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 What do you say anything specific about AAC schools and their atmospheres? Yeah, absolutely. So not only did, you know, he talk about that BYU opening game, but then when we talked more into the AAC part of the schedule, I did ask him who, whose environment he thought was the best. Now, granted, I want to preface this by saying, you know, he, his first season was in 2020. So there weren't any fans or limited fans at the games. So last year was really his only experience, but he did have thoughts on one school that had a great environment and it might surprise you a little bit. Well, this is one thing I'd say. My, my first season here in 2020, mm-hmm. uh, there was uh, no fans or limited fans oh, yeah. uh, at, at any of the games. So I've only really last year, probably the, the first year that I was able to go out and I do love that ECU atmosphere. It's fantastic. That's part of why I'm so excited for that NC State game is because I think it's going to be one of the best atmospheres of week one. 
Yeah, I, that's honestly one on my list of places I want to go. I keep trying to get out to Daddy Fifth and haven't made it yet. But now I'm even more pumped after hearing um, Jeff Scott talk about that. So, and I'm going to transition to a different atmosphere environment. Now, everybody keeps saying ECU is this. We've had several coaches come on and say that ECU is a hard place to play. So mm-hmm. I had to reach out and talk to co- head coach Mike Houston and see what he thinks about that and where he thinks is difficult to play in the AAC. And I think you're going to like his answer, Dan. Well, I mean, I, I think there's several places mm-hmm. and that's, uh, you know, last year I thought, you know, just going, going into, um, UCF. Yeah. It's, it's always challenging. You know, that's a just a tough place to play. I think, you know, this coming year, I think, you know, on the road at Cincinnati, yeah. you know, is going to be tough. I mean, I, th- I think that they've they've got a fan base that's really energized by the, the you know, the performance of their program the last several years. Yeah, Mike Houston kind of named the usual suspects there, UCF <laughs> and Cincinnati. Uh, yeah. Both have obviously fantastic crowds that come to games. I mm-hmm. want to give Cincinnati their due. Nippert at night, incredible. UCF, mm-hmm. the bounce house is incredible too. Uh, UCF, we just mentioned also, it, it does have the benefit of being located on the surface of the sun, especially in September and early October, especially mm-hmm. those noon kicks. It's yeah. incredibly tough to play in that heat. It can't be, it's the same as like going up to like Lambeau Field in January where it's just <laughs> the reverse, you know, can't bend your hands, can't yeah. stop cramping. It's one or the other. Um, everybody, everybody talks about the bounce house. It's definitely a place that gets brought up a lot in a lot of these conversations. One of the things I did, I want to share with you guys, but I'm going to save for the story that I write about it. So you'll have to stay tuned is who coach Houston talks about being excited to play against. So I like to ask the coaches because there's a lot of guys in here that have had, you know, crossover over the years with different coaches. And he does mention a few um, that have had similar journeys, you know, being a small ball coach coming into to division one football. And so you'll have to stay tuned to see who he gets excited about facing off on the field. But I think one of the biggest things that came through in this coach Houston interview was how excited he is for this upcoming season. He there's even a time where he says, we look like a good football team. And the biggest part of that, his quarterback, Holton Ehlers coming back, being experienced and leading this team. And here's what he had to say about having Ehlers back for this upcoming season. He's extremely experienced. I mean, I think he's, he's, you know, 500 yards off of becoming the all-time leading passer in American conference history. So, you know, barring, barring injury, uh, you know, he's probably going to be the all-time leading passer in, in conference history before he leaves here. Yeah. And so, and he's only, he's a couple thousand yards from being the all-time passer in East, East Carolina history. So, and I know there will be people who say, well, he had five years. Yeah, but, you know, he, he, only, played half of his pre- <laughs> he, only, he only played half of his freshman year, mm-hmm. and he did, not play a, he did not play a full slate during the COVID year. So he's going to do it in the same number of games as a four-year starter. Yeah. And so um, it's, you, you've got a guy that's played that many snaps and, and played at a high level. Um, you know, it's just, you know, he, he, looks, he looks like an experienced leader out there. I mean, it is time for Ehlers to shine. He's entering his, he's getting a fifth year with that bonus COVID year. I think he can do it. I really do. I believe in Holton Ehlers this year. He's going to be nice and I consistent. I do too. I mean, he, yeah. He's had consistency issues. We all know that. I think this is the year he puts it together and is a consistent, smart quarterback. He's got good weapons around him. ECU finally has a running game starting to develop. That's really worth checking out. They've got good wide receivers. And, you know, I'm excited for it. I'm excited to watch the Pirates this year. I really am. 
I am too. And, and I had the opportunity to speak with Holt Naylor's a few weeks ago for a piece I'm going to do on him. And we're going to have some of those quotes in the next podcast for you guys. So ECU fans stay tuned. But one of my favorite things that coach Houston said was, I don't know if anyone loves Greenville more than Holt Naylor's that would be doubtful. So his love for that place and, and that institution is going to drive these pirates forward heading into this next year. Absolutely. Oh uh, yeah. I think, I think that's we ran I, the gamut. We yeah. covered a lot of stuff. I think we nailed a bunch of things for the off season when there's like no deep heading news right now, man. No, we, we brought it for you guys. I think so. we got to hit up Eric and Joe for a pay raise. <laughs> if you guys think differently about any of our picks or want to weigh in on any of these lists that we're making, please feel free to reach out on Twitter and let us know how you feel. Lord knows the Cincinnati fans did. So I'd like to hear yeah. some from, from some other fans. I mean, I heard enough from a couple of Temple fans snuck in there with their PJ Walker hot takes. Oh, couple no. okay. Of, they're coming for me, not for you. So <laughs> that's, that's fair. Yeah, I didn't get tagged in that one. Or I didn't even get tagged in any of them. They just it's said fine. my full name and someone showed it to me. I was like, I'm here. You can tag me. Like, let's have a it's conversation about it. So yeah, Absolutely. if you think your team's opening game is the best one, please let us know why. Make sure Absolutely. you hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, you can get me at Dan underscore Morrison 96. And I'm at MLM, E-M-I-L-N-E-M. All right, till next time. See you then.